welcome to the Crashball Rugby Podcast, the podcast that focuses on the England rugby team and the Aviva Premiership. Let's get stuck in. Hello folks, welcome back or welcome for the first time if you're a new listener. This is the Crushable Rugby Podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, we focus on the England rugby team and the Aviva Premiership, so the top flight of English rugby as a whole. I'm your host, Ali Stokes. I'm the founder of CrushableRugby.com, the editor, and um, we're going to get talking today about some of the European quarterfinals playoffs and the uh, weekend ahead in the Aviva Premiership. Now, I'll be honest, this is the second time around this week trying to record the podcast. Apologies for how late it is. We had some technological uh, technological, technological issues with the pod. Um, I would fire the uh, tech guy, but that is me. So we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. Deal? Cool. So over the weekend, we saw, uh, we saw the last of the English teams knocked out of the Champions Cup um, tournament. So Saracens lost to Leinster 30-19 to at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. So now it's just the Pro 14 and Top 14 teams left in. Um, so let's have a talk about Saracens lost to Leinster. Um, there isn't really much more Saracens could have done uh, apart from maybe cut out a lot of handling errors in the last 15-20 uh, minutes of their game. Leinster are just another level at the moment. They've kind of taken Saracens' throne almost. Uh, the Saracens of 2015-2016, who seemed unbeatable, whose academy was producing international star after international star. Well, Leinster seem to have taken that now, and they're going through, and they're looking like serious favourites for the trophy. Um, Saracens themselves, they, uh, they're not quite the force they used to be. They don't have quite the iron grip they did on uh, the Premiership and Europe these days, but they're still a seriously high-quality team. Um, they, they were missing Billy Vanapola, Michael Rhodes and Vincent Koch in the forwards. I think they were probably the biggest absentees from the squad. But um, apart from that, it was mostly a first-choice team. And um, it didn't feel like Saracens played poorly. It's just they came up against a team that did everything better. Um, as, I, as I said before, um, the handling errors were an issue for Saracens. In the last few minutes, they just they kept coughing up ball. They were obviously rushing it. They, they weren't quite the cool-headed cold-hearted machine that we've seen in recent years and um i think it just goes to show that it's uh it's it's, it's hard to to maintain a dynasty um like uh, the leicester tigers of old and and all that it's 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 a professional sport now it's much more difficult you you just you can't you can't hold that for for you know any more than two or three years really and um saracens are leveling out now a little bit and uh, it looks like exeter maybe are starting to take their uh take their hold at the top of english rugby whether that stays that way or not will be interesting to see over the next few seasons. But um, that's a talk for another day, for another season. Um, let's uh, let's quickly go through some of the week's news before we go into uh, the rugby this weekend. So last week we saw that um, Worcester parted ways with Paul Grayson and Andy Long. So Paul Grayson is a former World Cup winning, winning fly half with England. Um, he and Long were doing kicking and line-out throwing respectively at Worcester once a week since 2014, but that has now come to an end with all the new coaching staff Alan Solomons has brought in. In other teams' news, Northampton Saints have announced that Dorian West, their forwards coach, long-standing coach, is going to be leaving the club at the end of the season. Now, this is kind of expected, especially after Jim Mallander left earlier in the season. They were really were a dub, uh, sort of a, a double team uh, for quite a long time with Saints, led them to uh, some seriously impressive uh, feats. At one point, Dorian West had that forward pack as one of the most cohesive and most powerful packs really we've ever seen in the Premiership in the professional era. But um, Saints are a long way off that now these days, and uh, really, it's um, 
it is time Dorian West moved on, but it's good to see that they're, he's holding on to the end of the season and it seems, I mean, as amicable as it could have been considering uh, the, the issues they had earlier in the season, considering their losing streaks. It'll be interesting to see how Chris Boyd handles uh, the new coach, who he brings in, who's going to take over next season when he comes in. So also last week we had um, the unfortunate news of Sam Jones being forced to retire. So the Wasps flanker, he's only 26 Gutting to hear. He was in a um, England training camp in 2016 doing some judo with um, the old uh, Maru Itoji. And it seemed that um, something happened, uh, some sort of awkward fall on Sam Jones. He had extensive damage to his ankle, knee and hip. He's been trying for nearly a year and a half now to try and rehab those injuries. And it just isn't enough. Specialists have told him that it's time to give up the ghost and just unfortunately pursue something else, which is gutting to hear. It's... um. It's never nice to hear in a career ended in injuries that wasn't actually in rugby itself. So um, thoughts and wishes go out to Sam and hopefully he can enjoy rugby as a fan now and find success in another career. Also, so a little bit more of a darker news still, Denny Solomona. He is due to appear before citing commission tomorrow evening. So it's the Wednesday today, tomorrow evening, 6.30pm. He's going to appear for a citing panel for homophobic slurs against Worcester Warriors fly-half Jamie Shilcock. Now, allegedly, it's the same word used by Matteo Bastro in the Champions Cup, but used three times. This could be a very lengthy ban for Solomona if um, if evidence is brought up and if he pleads guilty and and all that all that jazz. He um he's supposed to have used it three times, and also it's, it's his first language. Now, a bit of a mitigating factor towards Bastro is Money was saying, well, it, it, it's not a word in his language. He maybe didn't fully understand what the word meant or the impression it would give. There is no such argument for Solomona, so this could be quite lengthy. And it'd be interesting to see tomorrow evening just what happens. Further to uh, some other sales sharks news. So... Will Addison, centre and club captain, and Mike Haley, fullback, have both decided to swap allegiances um, from England to Ireland. They both have heritage, Irish heritage, and they're moving to, well, Addison is going to Ulster, and Haley, even though, yeah, is going to Munster. So what they're going to do, they're going to try and crack into the Ireland team because they've struggled under Eddie Jones and Stuart Lancaster to get into the side. Um, It's a real shame to see us uh, lose such talents to the English system, but I think it's fair enough. They weren't really getting a good look in there. They've got ancestry in Ireland they can try and use, and they are two seriously quality players when in form. Now, they both struggled quite a lot with injuries, so, um, yeah, they could be absolute world beaters for these uh, these Irish provinces, and we'll see how they get on. All the best for them. Um, another piece of news that's come out just this morning, actually, is... Uh, so. The Premiership is obviously the Aviva Premiership at the moment. The insurance uh, group Aviva, they are the main title sponsors. Now, they were supposed to end that contract at the end of last season, but with the Premiership struggling so much to find a main sponsor, they brought them in for another one-year contract. Now, it's been reported that Premiership are looking at signing up a American uh, American Giants insurance broker so that name is i will get that in a second it's it's gone for me basically this is a big american company based in illinois um and they're looking at becoming the main sponsor of the premiership now that's um it's going to be interesting because obviously there's a bit of a race to crack america across all the major leagues and obviously now it's looking like the premiership are taking the you know leading the charge there to get their foot to get a foothold there and um 
it means that the once a year, the annual fixture that Saracens have held at the moment with a London Irish and then Newcastle this season um, is going to be moved from New York to Chicago more regularly. And um, I think next season they're talking about it being Newcastle Falcons and Harlequins hosting that fixture. Not sure who's going to who's going to be the home home side in that game, but either way, it's another bit of exposure into American rugby. And um, it's basically it seems to be mostly driven by potential TV deals by by Premiership Rugby to get to get more finances because the um, the top fourteen their TV deal recently surpassed the Premiership deal, and it looks like they're trying to then overtake and once again sort of a. Uh, you know, have the richest uh, TV deal there. So it was um, just found it now. It was the Arthur J. Gallagher and Co. Insurance Company. So they are really, you know, American giants is how they're being branded. So that could be really interesting. It's just a shame the name doesn't quite roll off the tongue as much as a Viva Premiership. Um, maybe RJG? Anyway, let's move on from that one. We'll, um, we'll get into the actual rugby that's happening this weekend. Oh, no, pardon me. Let's talk about Saracens. So it came out a few days ago that Saracens was supposedly up for sale. Now, the actual facts of the matter was that Saracens was owned 50-50, uh, 50% for Nigel Ray, uh, which everyone uh, knows really, and 50% for a um, uh, South African company called Remgro. Now, Remgro was chaired by Ru- uh, Johan Rupert. Um, the deal itself was actually started by Rupert's father, now, what's happening is that Remgro have decided it, it, it's got m- multiple multiple owners. It's not just um, Johan Rupert at the head of this, but he is, uh, he is the chairman. Um, they decided they want to withdraw their shareholders, uh, their 50% shareholder, because of the losses Saracens have been making. Now, th- it has been reducing recently. It's now to about 2.6 million losses uh, this, this past season. In the past, it's been over 4 million. But that simply, as it's been too much. The uh, South Africans have decided that you can no longer accept this kind of loss, and they want to sort of cut not not cut ties completely because they are still going to be associated with the club in in some manner. But they don't want a fifty percent sharehold. What's happened now is after lots of speculation about the club being up for sale. Um, did I say Jackson Ray? I've just realised I say Jackson Ray. It's not Jackson Ray. Nigel Ray. Gosh. And. Um, It'll be very, very interesting if the club's number eight was uh, also the owner of the club. So Nigel Ray has um, has taken full charge of Saracens now. He had he has bought 100% of the um, of the company. He is now full owner. Now this is meant to be on a temporary basis. He is going to be looking for two more sponsors to get involved. One of which they want to be involved in construction because they want to redevelop the West Stand, and um, that apparently once it's built will also bring in extra income that will help offset those losses. But it's going to be interesting to see who comes in, what magic Nigel Roy can work to uh, to get some new title names in, and uh, how soon he can do it. Because obviously he's taking the brunt of all those all the financial losses for them in the meantime. Okay, so those are the major headlines. Let's move on to the rugby this weekend. So the table as it stands, so we've got Exeter Chiefs holding strong in first place with sixty five points. They are ahead of Saracens, who are fifty seven, so a really strong eight point lead. Wasps are in third, just behind Saracens. We then got Newcastle Falcons maintaining their playoff spot in fourth play, which is really good to see because they're usually in the relegation battle, and now all of a sudden they might be in the semi-finals. Really good stuff, really entertaining rugby as well. Dean Richards is really working some magic up north. Leicester Tigers coming in fifth, and Leicester at sixth, but they are both tied on 51 points apiece, so they are very, very close there. Sailor in seventh, 48 points. 
Bath are 8th in 40, with, uh, pardon me, with 46 points. Quinns are 9th, they have 36. Saints are 10th with 32 points. Worcester 11th for 27. And London Irish are at the bottom of the table with 17 points. So 10 behind Worcester. So now, that does seem like it's a foregone conclusion that Leicester uh, Irish will be going down but they are picking up some steam at the moment and Worcester are going the other way. They've lost some really key men to season-ending injuries. So the relegation battle is not done yet. We could see some late drama. Uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit further with the fixtures um, that are happening later this weekend, but let's start with Friday night. So Cell Sharks are going to host Wasps. That's on BT Sport. Seventh place hosts third place. Now, What's what's interesting here is Sale come off the back of a seriously convincing victory over Worcester Warriors. 50-plus points they've scored. Um, Wasps come off the back of a loss to Leicester. So that's going to be tough to see. It, it, it's going to be tough to see who is going to win here. You'd say Sale Sharks maybe have the advantage because they are at home and they are in such good forms, such a form. But Wasps are in third place in the table. At times, they've played some amazing rugby and they've got some of their best players coming back. Joe Launchbury and James Haskell are back from international duty. Matt Mullen is continuing his return from injury after featuring off the bench against Leicester last week. And Tommy Taylor is going to make his bench appearance for his first premiership appearance so far this season. He, uh, he injured his knee with England at the end of last season in the summer and he has also picked up a neck injury earlier on. It's also turned out this week that Elliot Daly is going to be fit. Um, it was initially reported that he'd be out for six weeks, so quite a nasty finger dislocation, but he's made a very quick recovery and he's now going to be available and he's not going to miss any rugby whatsoever for us. That's really good to hear for uh, for his fitness news. However, it would have been nice if he did get six weeks off. He played a lot of rugby last season and he's come off the back of a Six Nations disappointment. It would have been nice to see one of these high-profile internationals get a bit more of a break mid-season where he's not just trying to rehab from a major injury like an ankle or a knee that he suffered um, earlier on in the season, but just a hand injury that he could kind of almost relax with in the sun in Dubai or something. But um, hey-ho, he's back, and hopefully he's going to be picking up some some end-of-season form ahead of England's tour to South Africa. So on to Saturday. We've got four games on Saturday, the first of which, the first of which is Bath versus Leicester Tigers at Twickenham. The clash is back. Now that's both on BT Sport and Channel 5, free to watch. No excuse not to get this one on. Get your family, get your friends, get them in and just enjoy. So Bath, as we mentioned before, sit in eighth place and Leicester are in fifth place joint with Gloucester. Now, you'd argue that Tigers have the advantage here because they come off the back of a a really, really spirit-lifting victory over Wasps. And they've got their England players back. They've got their injured players coming back in, like Ellis Genge. They're really looking strong again. Bath, equally, they've got a fair few injuries. They come off the back of two losses back-to-back against extra Chiefs. Um, they do, however, have Fran- Francois Lowe coming back this weekend, which is going to be a big boost for them. He does a lot of carrying, a lot of tackling work, but really he has a huge effect on the breakdown. Um so he's going to be he's going to be uh, impactful for Bath, not just physically but also mentally. They always seem to play better when he's in the side. It is technically Bath's home fixture, so they will take a little bit of confidence from that. It's not much, but you can say it's a couple of percent in the in our mental the mental picture of the game. But um, it's it's going to be this is this is quite a close one. This is a hard one hard one to um to predict. You'd say it is probably advantage Tigers, but on any given day Bath can pull it out the bag. It's just the problem is. They've gone from world beaters to bottom of the table strugglers throughout the season form-wise. So it's, it's flip a coin for this one. Tough to see, but 
hopefully we'll get some more entertaining rugby in the sun at HQ. The next game on Saturday is Northampton Saints and Saracens. So 10th place versus 2nd place. Now, as we mentioned earlier on the pod, Saracens come off the back of some disappointment in the Champions Cup, having lost in the quarterfinals to Leinster. And a lot of their England contingent come off the back of serious Six Nations disappointment. So there's going to be a lot of frustration to be taken out on Saints this weekend. This could be ugly. Also, it looks like Billy von Apola might be making his return for Saracens. He was close to coming back for the Leinster game, but he just missed it. So you'd imagine he will be fit this weekend. Now, Saints have had, similar to Bath, they've had some real struggles at times this season, but they've also had some highs. Now, they've levelled out at the moment. They're a little bit more stable, but they're not looking particularly spectacular. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 gonna, it's tough to see anything other than a really convincing Saracens victory here. But, um, I mean, if Saints want to maintain a positive mental attitude um, for the end of the season and to go into their pre-season ahead of Chris Boyd's arrival, they're going to need to at least put a convincing showing, at least stay competitive. But easier said than done. Saracens are going to come in with... They don't, they're not going to have to worry about conserving energy for Europe later on in the campaign. And as I said, it looks like it's going to be a heavy Saracens victory. Our next game on the Saturday is Harlequins versus London Irish. So 12th place travel to play 9th. Again, we've got another team, Quinn. So Bath, Saints and Quinns, they've all really struggled so far this season with their form. They've been up and down. It's been a real roller coaster ride. Um, they are at home and at the moment there isn't really much on the table for them to compete for. They're looking like an outside bet really to make Champions Cup and they don't have any current European competitions to challenge for. It's strange. Now, I mention this because Quinns seem to be able to pull out of the bag when there's nothing on the line, almost when it doesn't really matter. So that's why we may well see an impressive uh, impressive performance because they don't have any any huge needs uh, you know, hanging over them. There's, there's, there's no repercussions of losing this match, really, apart from perhaps falling lower down the table. But they're not, gonna, they're, they're not in risk of relegation. Now, London Irish, as I mentioned, they are beginning to pick up some form. They may have lost their director of rugby, Nick Kennedy, mid-season last week, but Declan Kidney and Les Kiss have come in. So they have won Grand Slams together with Ireland, and they look like they've made an immediate impact with Irish. They've kind of ridden a little bit off the form that Nick Kennedy managed to get Irish to um, just before they arrived, but they are looking much stronger. And I really would not put it past Irish to take a victory here. In the opening round, of this year's Premiership season, Irish put a really impressive win over Quinns at Twickenham. So they proved they can do it. That's going to be a really big factor in their mentality of the game. So I have a feeling we could see an Irish victory here and we could well see a Worcester loss because they play Falcons, which we'll get onto in a second. The, uh, the Looks like the relegation battle is probably going to heat up a little bit. And uh, so Worcester. Worcester are going to host Falcons. Now, that's two teams who play on artificial pitches. Um, Worcester in 11th place. Falcons, as we said, they're holding strong in fourth place for the playoffs. Worcester have lost. So last weekend when they lost a sale, they didn't have Francois Hugard, Ryan Mills, Donica O'Callaghan or Chris Pennell. No, they are, they are their four most influential, most important players. If they don't have any of those four, well, they're definitely not going to have Ryan Mills because his season is over. If they don't have any of Hugard, O'Callaghan or Pennell this weekend against Falcons, it's going to be another heavy another heavy loss and they'll be really hard-pressed to take even the losing bonus point. Falcons, on the other hand, they are really looking good under Dean Richards. They've brought in some really, really 
excellent attacking play and their forwards are really doing the job. You wouldn't say there's any stars in that pack at all, but they know what they're doing. They're premiership standard. They can dog it out when they need to. It's uh, it's looking like Falcons are genuinely going to mount a threat for um, you know, for the next few seasons. I mean, they're, they are a real outside bet to win the premiership this season, especially with extra around. But um, they're looking strong. They can take pretty much anyone on their day. So, uh, yeah, I think good luck to Worcester there because that's going to be a bit of a mountain to climb for them. The, the last fixture of the weekend. So we've got extra Chiefs hosting Gloucester. So extra obviously, as we said, are at the top of the table and Gloucester are tied with uh, Tigers on points where they sit in sixth. Now, Exeter come off the back of, uh, as we said, they, they, they've they won twice over Bath in a row. The latest victory last weekend was a ooh, Anglo-Welsh Cup victory. They took the title for that trophy, which is really good. And they did it with the resting, I think, all but one of their starting 15 from the previous Premiership fixture. That was the fly-half Joe Simmons. Gloucester, on the other hand, now, they also had a European victory over the weekend. They went into the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup. They beat Connacht on the road in Galway. Um, so that contained a lot, if not most, of their first teamers. So they are not going to have benefited from the same type of rest. It is hard to see anything other than an extra victory here. But at their top, at, the, at their um, you know, at their best, Gloucester have been amazing this season. Their attacking rugby has been some of the best. It, it, it is up there with Chiefs and Wasps, and their forward pack is now. It, it's a bit grittier. It's a bit more solid. In times before, before Johan Ackerman came in and took over, Gloucester were very. They're almost feeble at times in the way that. That they couldn't back up performances. They'd be winning until the final 10 minutes and they just threw it away and they struggled on the road. That seems to have been not completely stamped out, but drastically reduced under Ackerman. So they can they can mount a serious threat to Exeter at home, which is a real credit to to them as the you know the quality of their side. A victory, however, against Exeter is gonna be really tough. They've got their ring gun stars back. They're feeling confident from the victories of a you know of a trophy the previous weekend. It's um it, it, at the very least, it's going to be the pick of the weekend. It should be the best rugby so far. Um, watch this be an absolutely turgid affair now. But um, this should be great. I, again, I'm, my money is an extra, but Gloucester could very well sneak it if they if they come out all guns firing. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to have a quick talk about some of the questions you guys have brought in. Okay, so our first question comes from Tony Sylvester on Twitter. So he asks, are we getting too critical of officials during matches? It seems more appropriate to evaluate their performance after the whole event, surely. Trial by Twitter, etc., allows too much whinging. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Tony. There is, I mean, there is obviously all the immediate reaction during games you see on social media. Um, those are always fueled by high tempers from media reactions. I think definitely we should we should um, we should wait to let the dust settle before we are very critical before we let too many of our opinions go out there. But you know this is sport. It's um, I think it's it's good to air your opinions during the match. It sparks debate, shows a bit of passion. As for actually criticizing the referees, um, I think if you can you can look past some of the immediate stuff that's said during or just after games because I think you just have to accept that some of it may be a bit emotionally fueled if it was your team who was on the uh, on the receiving end of a questionable refereeing decision i think the uh, the most obvious highlights here are nigel owen's decision not to not to give a yellow card or a penalty try against simon zebra against um ooh, toulon um ashton looked to have grabbed the ball and dot the ball down zebra comes in and bats the ball back 
out of uh, in you know into the dead ball. Now over the summer, not the summer in um for for New Zealand in the autumn, Sonny Bill Williams said the same thing and he got given a yellow card. This the, the argument here was Owens had decided he hadn't delivery knocked it out questionable but this has been one of the most criticized moments another one is a dan carter pass for a try for racing um the pass quite clearly went forward quite a few meters but the conversation was well were the hands going backward was he moving forward meaning that no matter how flat he passed the ball the ball was going to go forward you probably could argue that i mean at first i thought that was fine i was i was saying yeah it's just momentum because he's traveling forward but on second look you see that Dan Carter is almost stopped when he's passed that ball, so he's not really moving forward that fast. And also, the ball moves much further forward than it, sh- than it could have done if he had passed it fat, uh, flat. So that's um, that is probably one that should have been picked up on. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, those are the ones that you highlight in retrospect a few days later. But um, I think really the best the best we can do is uh, you're never going to be able to stop people from having a go on Twitter. It's you know that you take with the good with the bad when it comes to social media. I think just just try and ignore some of the immediate stuff and wait for a day or two and have a look at some of the more more the opinions from more collective thoughts anyway. Okay, so move on to our second question. This comes from Michael Che Hayden. I hope I've pronounced that right. So what transfers should Newcastle Falcons make to push on next season? So this is an interesting one. I've been thinking about this one for a while, actually. Now, they uh, it, it, it seems their forward pack, now, it, it, while it's not full of stars, it's very competent. And it's, you're hard-pressed to say there's any one particular position that they're weak in. But they're not really weak anywhere. I mean, there are positions maybe that they could definitely do with an international star, but so could all teams. It's it's hard to say. I suppose at number eight they kind of have a makeshift eight. Nili Latu, um, I think, I'm pretty sure he's a Tongan international. He is more of a flanker, but he's he's playing at number eight. So maybe a, a real ball carrier in in the back there. I think the, uh, the the absolute dream of Newcastle fans would be Carl Ferns coming back from Leon and and playing eight for Newcastle. That would be a serious impact. Um, perhaps at tight head they could they could do with some some real ball carriers like a, a Jake Cooper Woolley perhaps on the tight head. Their their tight head props are very good. They're very capable, but they maybe aren't quite the the, the game breakers other teams have, like Vincent Cock and like your Jake Cooper Woolley and and Harry Williams. And um, in the back line, it seems that now I'm going to get a bit of criticism here. Toby Flood came back now. While he is a competent fly half in the Premiership at the moment, he's certainly not on the form he was when he won all 70 of his England caps. And it feels like he's kind of ticking over. It doesn't feel like he's having the same kind of impact as someone like Reese Priestland, who's a similar age and a similar experience internationally. I feel like if Newcastle were to sign a proven fly half who is still in form, they could really crack on even further. I mean, they've got ridiculous, ridiculous options in the wings, in the centres, um, Simon Hammersley at fullback is brilliant and uh, they've got plenty of good second rows and flankers I think apart from that it's only tight head number eight and fly half that they could improve if they wanted to but really I mean they're doing well I mean they haven't got the names in there that you could hold them next to the likes of Wasps, Saracens and Exeter in the uh, you know in the big names um, category but um, no they're doing the job and they're probably spending a hell of a lot less money doing it Okay, so our next and our last question is from Stephen Phillips on Twitter again. Thanks for getting in touch, Stephen. So he asks, has Owen Farrell playing at centre stunted his growth at fly half? He seems to have gone right off the boil lately for Saracens. 
Now this isn't this is an interesting one. I had this this I've kind of touched not touched upon and um, thought about this for England when he came in and he played um, at fly half against Ireland in the final round. He didn't quite seem to be to be with it as much as he had been in recent years when he was England's first choice fly half. Too often he just resorted to kicking the ball across to the wing to Elliot Daly or Johnny May. He almost seemed like he he was struggling to to control the game as well as he has been in the past. You know before he became pretty much as just a center for England. Yeah. Well, as when you, you know, you say just a center, he obviously he is a playmaking center. He is really a second fly half, but um, yeah, it definitely seems to have affected his performance for England. For Saracens, I'm not so sure. I don't see any problem at all in a Saracen setup. I think he's doing really well. I think he's getting everyone firing around him and working really well with Richard Wigglesworth at nine next to him. Um, so no, I don't think he has for Saracens, no, because he is constantly playing in that setup at 10. Now, the same question for England, definitely, I think he has, I think he struggled to to perform at fly half for England just because it's been so long since he's played there for them. He he hasn't really ever had time, you know, reasonable time spent at fly half underneath Eddie Jones, apart from a few games here and there. So um, I think maybe, yeah, it, if, if he wants to play at fly half for England, if Eddie Jones wants him there, it's going to take a little while for him to adapt to that system just to get used to it. He is a seriously high quality player, one of the best fly halves in the world. So you'd imagine it wouldn't take too long. Um, but yeah, as for Saracen, Stephen, I'd say I'd say he's doing all right. I, th- I think he's looking okay. I wouldn't blame I wouldn't be blaming him at all for Saracens loss on the weekend. To be honest, I wouldn't be blaming any of the Saracens players. As I mentioned before, Leinster were just too convincing. They are in such good form at the moment. It's it's spectacular. So uh, yeah, let, let us know what uh, what you think to those questions. Have I did I get anything wrong there? Do you disagree? Do you agree with it? Or if you just want to chat, you can get um, you can get in touch with us on social media. So on Twitter, it's at underscore Crashball Rugby. We are Crashball Rugby on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we also share all sorts of articles throughout the week. We uh, we share the we have the latest news on the Premiership and England rugby. If you weren't already already aware, so you can you can follow that by following us on social media or just by checking out CrashballRugby.com. So it isn't just myself on Crashball. I'm the editor and founder, but we've got a team of writers who uh, who we discuss in the week, and they also publish articles. So have a look on there. Um, if you yourself are, you can see yourself a rugby aficionado, and you'd like a platform to publish your thoughts, get in contact with us, and we'll see what we can do. But um, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and we look forward to, uh, to the weekend, I suppose. There will be another podcast on this Sunday evening, we'll, uh, usually the podcast is going to come out on Monday mornings for you. But um, yeah, as I said, we had a few technical issues this week. Sorry about that. So we're going to review the uh, the weekend that's passed, the, the fixtures we've gone over, and we're going to preview the following weekend's Premiership action. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Get in touch. Let us know. You should subscribe, I think, if you like it. If you don't, fair enough. Um, subscribe, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And if you can, give us a rating on iTunes. It would be highly, highly appreciated. So enjoy your weekend, folks. And thanks again for listening.